0: Welcome, adventurers. For many, home is a place of comfort and respite. But for some, it carries other feelings. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the Dungeon Nebramim's breath rolled out of his mouth in the cold morning air as a fog coming down the shal shalis. Orteval patted his steed on the nose. I know, friend, he said as the horse shook his head and nuzzled him, looking for more grain. But breakfast has passed. It's time we were on the road. Nebramim nickered and stamped his foot. Orteval laughed as he drew the bridle into his mount's mouth. Orteval was never much for anthropomorphizing animals, but after four days on the road, he had a nagging feeling that Nebramum was not a morning person. A half-bell later, harnessed and saddled, they were on the road, riding southeast along the skip. Orteval rode at a leisurely pace, in no particular hurry. No, that was a lie. The reduced pace was more to do with his reluctance to reach the destination, instead of the lack of urgency. Going home was always... Always what? Uncomfortable. He always felt guilty about not visiting his father more often, especially since his mother's passing two years past. But whenever he visited ubato it was never long after unpacking his things than that nagging need to go, to be anywhere else, started. It wasn't that he didn't love his father or his mother, while she still lived. They had loved him and given him everything Ubito had to offer. But therein lie the problem. Ubito had almost nothing to offer. Little more than a wagon stop for merchants and travelers looking to cut time off their trip south. Even the name of the town itself was the result of a joke, and not a particularly good one. The capital of the Bharata province was Jumato, which meant blessed rock in the old tongue, and referred to the massive rock on which the Jumato Monastery was built, around which a settlement grew, and eventually a city which bore the name of its founding feature. Ubato meant better rock. Ortoval shook his head in embarrassment, just thinking about it. The early settlers of Ubato set up a few inns, a general store, and an eatery for the passing travelers. In this location there was a fairly sizable rock formation, unusual for this part of the Gimlin Woods. As travelers along the skip were taking this route to avoid Jumato, the town's founders began to promote the rock formation as an attraction. To this day there was a large wood sign above the road before the town that read, Welcome to Ubato we have twice the rock and half the people. Implying that somehow these rocks were better than one of the most holy sites in the province, due to a lack of civic clutter? Orteval was no geologist, but he was pretty sure the Ubato rock formation was not twice the size of the one upon which the monastery was built. And as for half the people, that was the most ridiculous of all. If there were over six hundred permanent residents of Ubato, Ortoval would be shocked. Jumato had a population of well over a hundred thousand. Ortoval was not a mathematician either, but he was dead certain that if you divided a hundred thousand by six hundred, the answer was not half. Ortoval closed his eyes and sighed. Alas, his father had written a letter saying some unsavory characters had taken to frequenting the town, that they were up to no good, were more than the marshal could handle. He went on to say he knew Ortoval was busy with his duties at the temple of the Knowing Mother in Jomato, but might he come quickly, come with weapon and armor, that the presence of a soldier might make these malcontents reconsider their actions. When he received the letter, he had read it more than once. Sadly, he doubted very much that there was anything more than some drunks who had stayed a few days past their welcome. When you lived in a wagon-stop town, a favorite pastime was to observe and gossip about those who traveled through town. Speculations were often wild and outlandish, and also never true. More likely than unsavory characters was his father just wanting to see him and for as much as Ortoval hated visiting home, something had been growing inside him. For months, Ortoval had felt a restlessness with his duties at the temple building up. He taught the novices the basics of combat, taught them the basics of magic. He tended to the library. He was housed and fed. It was a good life, and the preceptress was kind, fair, and wise. But even with all that, Ever since the Knoll Wars had ended, he had a hard time staying anywhere for long, before he felt the need to pick up and go. To see something else. Be somewhere else. In fact, the nearly three years he had lived in Jamato was the longest he had lived anywhere since the wars ended. Who knows? Maybe it would be the longest he lived anywhere for the rest of his life. Six days passed, he had visited the Preceptress, and shown her the letter, saying he needed some time to visit his father and deal with his potential problem. She had smiled, and reached out to grasp his hand. Resilious knowledge is needed many places, my student, and all the aspect of the scholar takes many. The knowing mother also embodies the nature of a wolf, the desire to be out in the world, to gather knowledge by what you hear and see, to sleep under the stars. She had stared deeply into his eyes. I see wisdom in you, Orteval. Kindness. But above all else, I see a wolf's spirit in you. Her smile had widened, and she squeezed his hand. Go out, my student. Be free. See if you have a pack somewhere in this world. Your spirit will never be at peace here in this city. And so, here he was, with what little he owned less than a day's ride from his childhood home. Restless, uncomfortable, but free. The rattle of the approaching wagon train was loud now, indicating it was nearly to where Snare hid just off the side of the road. He hunkered down in the foliage, "'Casting his eyes down, observing the road with his peripheral vision. "'The last thing he needed was someone in the caravan "'to catch the glint of his eyes before the lead wagon was passed "'and alert them that something was amiss. "'The noise grew louder still, and then out of the corner of his eyes. "'Horse hooves, and then wagon wheels. "'One wagon passed. Two. "'As the third was just drawing alongside, "'he heard someone near the front of the train "'Call for a halt,' and the wagons rolled to a stop. "'The voice came again. "How oh, there. What is the matter with your animal?' "'A voice, rough as nails, responded. "'I fear the old nag may have seen her last day. "'She just lay down in the middle of the road, "'and we ain't been able to get her to budge since.' Two horses with riders moved from alongside the third wagon, "'forward toward the commotion.' The first voice reeled off an unrecognizable string of curses before lifting his voice again. You must move that animal. We have already had the worst beginning to the day and are far behind schedule. I have no time to see if the gods will revive your beast or call it home. Please move it, post-haste. The second voice came back in a highly irritated tone. A fine bit be- o compassion you have. This animal be dying. And frail as she is, she still weighs well over sixty stone. Do I look like a hill giant to you? It ain't as if I can just pick her up. Anger flaring, the first voice came back. Listen, friend, you're blocking the public way. Now I've no desire to, but if I must tell my people to cut that beast up with axes and toss it aside like a felled tree, I will. Are you mad? The hells you will? The argument sounded well-joined, and Snare had seen or heard no others around the third wagon. He poked his head out, looking toward the rear of the caravan. Two more carts passed this one. A lone rider watched the rear of the train, but he was turned east, looking that no one came from behind. A quick look toward the front. The volume of the dispute there was rising, and all involved seemed well distracted. Snare drew his cloak round him and then moved out from the side of the trail, walking at an even pace, not quick. Though night was approaching, there was still plenty of daylight, and rapid motion was far more likely to draw the eye. He covered the six paces to the wagon in a calm fashion. At its side, he barely paused, going instead to his knees and rolling calmly under. Rolling twice more, he found himself centered beneath the wagon. Here he paused and listened. The argument persisted. Threats of violence and calls for the Trine Aegis to be involved. But nothing was where he was. No new footsteps or calls of treachery. Snare rolled to his hands and knees and made his way to the opposite side of the wagon. Peeking his head out this side, the area was clear. He stood in the shadow of the wagon. His hands went quickly to work, unfastening the tie-downs for the cover. He climbed quietly up the wagon's side and slid inside. It was dark under the thick canvas, but it took Snare's gnomish eyes but a moment to adjust. He crawled over a box and into the bed, where there was a narrow space just big enough for his gnomish body. He wriggled into a crouch. Now, if Jobin's information was right, it should be very near the middle, where he was. After the briefest of searches, air stale and stuffy, A smile came to Snare's face. There it was. Snare had to admit he had been dubious up to this point. When Jobin told him that some of the rich types moved their valuables in normal supply caravans as a sort of disguise instead of heavily guarded iron wagons, Snare had thought him mad at first. Jobin and his band talked to Streak, swearing they had knocked over eight other caravans, taking untold riches, Snare had nodded along, doing his best to look impressed and convinced. However, the claim of already taken untold riches was difficult to believe when the pitch was being given in a rundown three-room cabin. And if all of their eight jobs had taken a place on this stretch of the skip, as he was told, the presence of Trine Aegis patrols would be overwhelming. But Snare hadn't seen more than one a day for over a week. No, at best this crew had gotten away with one, maybe two small takes, and now had delusions of platinum when they were not but shiny copper. But Jobin had insisted his information was good, and as much out of boredom as anything else, Snare had agreed to join in the plan for his share of the haul. The chest at which he looked was stamped with three falcons, wings spread wide. The seal of some ridiculously rich family of the Vet Doma El Fioris, maybe? Snare wasn't paying that close attention when Jobin was telling him that part. It was the lock, however, not the seal, that convinced him he was in for something good. This was no iron prison lock. No, this was a quality piece made of refined steel. Dwarven work, possibly gnomish. This was going to take his best effort. Eyes set in concentration A hand went to his belt. Out came his picks. A calming breath. And then he began. In the time since Snare had left the dungeon under the Baron's Manor, his lock-picking skills had progressed above and beyond his already promising beginning. It was rare that a lock took him more than ten beats to pick. However, twenty beats in, Snare still worked. His hands kept calm. Minute adjustments made. Feeling for the shift. Click of tumblers. A normal lock had two, maybe three tumblers. Snare was fair certain he had defeated at least four at this point, and there were more to go. Gnomish work for sure. At forty beats, six tumblers tripped. The lock was still not open. At this point, many thieves would have begun to panic, to rush and break a pick, or to cut their losses and run. Not Snare. What would Fordbeer say if he let panic curb his effort? At seventy-five beats, just as the eighth tumbler fell, the wagon lurched. So caught up in the task at hand, Snare had failed to notice the argument outside had died down. He tensed as the lock jostled, legs adjusting just enough to keep him from falling over, from pulling his picks out, or even worse, breaking one. The clop of the horse hooves picked up again, the rattle of the wagon wheels. Well, this wasn't how it was supposed to go, but Jobin had made no mention of a gnomish lock. It took Snare almost two bars to get his legs adjusted under him in such a way that they would absorb the shock and sway of the moving wagon. If Cinder was playing a joke, then it was on her. Snare wasn't giving up until this chest was open. After an unbelievable two more bars, the tenth... The God's cursed tenth tumbler clicked, and the lock opened with a graceful silence. Snare set it carefully aside, returning the picks to their place on his belt. He retrieved a thin wire and a flat piece of metal as well. He took a moment to probe for traps. There didn't seem to be any. With that lock, why would there be? Tools put back, Snare flexed his fingers and lifted the lid. A giddy rush came to him as he peered within. Maybe Jobin wasn't as dumb as Snare had first thought. Gold. His eyes ran over it. Two thousand pieces at least. Calmly, he thought. He unslung a bag from under his cloak. Reaching within, it appeared empty, but he thought of a sack of rocks, and one was there in his hand. He removed it, setting it carefully on the bed. He repeated the process twice more. Now the coin. Quickly and quietly, he began taking handfuls, one at a time, and placed them into the bag, where they vanished. His nimble fingers made surprisingly quick work of it. In just over two bars, the chest was empty. Next he reached for the first sack of rocks and paused. He wondered. Snare took a moment to run his hands over the inside of the chest. On the bottom, near the back corner, there was the slightest separation. He reached back to his belt, picking out the flat piece of metal. Into the chest he felt again, and then, with the bar, pried. A false bottom came up. Inside, a small pouch of dark green velvet. He removed it, replaced the cover, and then opened the pouch. Snare grinned. Within a handful of jewels. He drew the pouch closed and was about to put it in the bag. But then he thought better of it. This job was much harder than advertised, he thought, as instead he shoved the pouch under his leather armor. He was awarding himself a bonus. Will something Snare is involved in work out for once? and what will ortivall find in this hometown of ubato stay tuned next week for part 2 of restless spirit hey when your mind wanders, does it wander into space? Did you know people are telling cool stories up there? Check this out. The universe can be a strange place full of mystery that you are brave enough to dare to explore. Join our friends aboard the Opal Star as they set off on an adventure into the unknown. To shine a light on hidden truths and expose the lies hidden in shadow. To find a, your place among the stars and show the world what you're made of. To discover who you were and decide who you want to be. There are so many mysteries in space, and the biggest ones tend to hide in the place you least expect. And sometimes what starts as an ordinary day can turn into the start of something out of this world. Welcome aboard the Opal Star. We have a universe to explore. Aboard the Opal Star is a production of Pseudonym Social, changing reality one story at a time. To get more information on this or any of our other shows, follow us on Twitter at pseudonymsocial.